going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be looking um, at a few verses here in just a moment, but just to remind you, we are picking back up where we left off right before homecoming. Uh, we started a introduction to 1 Corinthians in the first three verses of chapter 1. Paul is talking to a church at Corinth who, let's just be honest about it, every church that's ever existed has got some problems. And we just get them called out. I hate to have been in the church of Corinth, get all your stuff put in the Bible. <laughs> but they did. Nonetheless, they're just like every other church that ever has existed. They've got problems. And they need to be reminded that they have what they have because they have unity in Jesus. He, in that introduction, he says, listen, your hope, your, 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 your desire needs to be found in that thing that you have in Jesus. You are what you are because of what Jesus has done. That's his introduction in the first three verses. Now in the next few verses, beginning in verse 4, we're going to look at today, he's giving thanksgiving, thanksgiving for a few things here, but it all is Paul expressing thanksgiving, trying to remind the Corinthian church, listen church, you can trust God. You can trust God. God is trustworthy. So that's the message I want to try to bring to you today is the fact that you can indeed trust God. We're going to be looking at a few verses beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, and I'm going to read down to verse 9. And I just want to read that. I want you all to follow along in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy that you brought, it should be one black back uh, book right there in the back of your pew. Please open it up and follow along with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you become come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you pray with me? Ask the Lord to bless His Word. Lord, I'm going to stand here and do, do something that is pretty audacious, and I'm going to attempt to be a mouthpiece of you. The Lord, help me to be faithful to your word, because that is the only confirmed, inerrant source of your word that we have. I fear not, dear, into my opinion, Lord, I pray, God, that you will bless the reading of your word, that you will use me as a, an oracle to share your truth with your people and allow us to get a small glimpse of the glory that is to come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so thankful for the grace of God. If you're not thankful for it, it's either because you've never received it or because you don't understand what it is you've got. I want to try for just a second to remind you what you've got. First point of my message today is that God has given us the lavish gift of His gospel. If you look at me in verse 4, Paul says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God that He's given you. 
this grace that God has given us, this grace of the gospel, I want you to understand that word grace, you understand it kind of inherently. If not, let me put a little definition around it for you. That is a gift that is not deserved. That's what grace is. It's something that you do not deserve and you receive. That's why it's called grace. But there is no reason on this planet that you should deserve the grace of God. Not a person ever. Never has been a person. There's only one motivating factor for God extending His grace to you. And it's because He loves you. That's it. Nothing you've done, nothing you could ever do, and makes it so that you can earn the grace of God. That's, in fact, if you could earn it, it wouldn't be grace anymore. It would be something else. But you can't earn it. You can't. It is available to us through a very, I will have to say, it's a very terrible thing that had to happen so that you could have grace. The Lord Jesus Christ came and robed in flesh. He had to take on humanity, walk among us, and be brutally tortured, to be nailed to a cross, to have his, his body broken, his blood shed for us. That sacrifice, he says there in verse 4, it is given you by Jesus Christ. That's why, that's how you have the grace of God, because Jesus sacrificed himself for you. Now that's amazing on its own. We could stop right there and shout hallelujah and go to the house. But Paul ain't done, because you know, this is how the grace of God is. It's so much more than you can ever imagine. It is so much more. Look at what he says in verse 5. God in everything. That grace, he says, I'm grateful that God is giving you this grace so that in everything you are enriched by Him. You see, God's grace doesn't just make you a little bit better. He doesn't just improve you. He enriches you. And I want you to think about why it enriches you. He says that, that, that we are redeemed. We are saved. We are bought. We are prepared. We are brought into the family of God. Adopted, the Bible uses that word. We're part of the family of God. That didn't happen because of some dirty legal transaction. Nobody's money didn't exchange hands, but it was, as Peter says, the precious blood of Jesus. The most valuable substance in the universe was shed so that you could have the grace of God. That's what it comes down to. If you take something that, invest, that, that valuable that's been invested, you better believe it's going to do something. It's going to do something amazing when it's used. And that's what it is. is that he doesn't just improve us, He enriches us. So He's invested something very valuable in you. But again, that, that word enrich, it doesn't just mean make you a little better. It means to make you wildly wealthy. He enriches you. He makes it so that you are rich because of God's grace. He makes you so wildly wealthy. You are a son or a daughter of God. You are one of His because of this investment. This is what He gives to us. This thing is so undeserved. We, don't, we do not deserve it. And it is so wildly lavish. It is just, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine if I had half of what God had, which is just unimaginable on its own, that I would give near as much as He's given to anybody. But He has given so much, more than you can ever deserve, but so much more than you can ever imagine. That's what He's given to us. But He says there in verse 5 that not only is He just enriched us generally, but He specifically enriched us in all utterance and in all knowledge. Utterance, the, the speech that we give and the knowledge, the understanding that we have. Please understand this about your salvation. 
I think sometimes we inadvertently think, well, I got saved because mama and daddy brought me to church. Or I got saved because I had a friend who did this or that. I got saved because I heard the gospel and I understood it. And I appreciate what we're thinking there. But do you understand what really saved you? It is not by any human wisdom. It is not by any human strength. It is not anybody's beauty, anybody's eloquence. There is no circumstance that has caused you to be saved. It is all of the grace of God. It is even God's grace that enables you to hear the gospel. If you heard it, if your parents gave it to you, or you heard a preacher, or somebody came by your house, you had a friend, or whatever the circumstances were that you heard the gospel, do you know why you heard the gospel? Because of God's grace. And you may say, well, I got saved when I was 20. I got saved when I was 30. I got saved when I was 5. I got saved all the different ages. Do you know what made it so that you could live to the point where you would hear and, hear and accept the gospel? That's the grace of God. All of those things. He enables you to hear it. He even enables you to have the faith that you need to believe the gospel. Apart from God's grace, you are going to look at the Word of God. You're going to look at the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians later on here, he says, it's just foolishness to you. But it's because of God's grace that you can even understand it and believe it. It is because of God's grace that you confess the truth of the gospel. His grace is all wrapped up around the gospel that we have. And He is lavish in giving that to us. But He's not only done in giving it to you, He continues to give His grace even after you believe. Look what He says in verse 6. He says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Yes, you are giving witness to it. I was saved. And you maybe give a date or a circumstance in which you were saved. You give that testimony. But did you know that when, when the, the Corinthians were making that kind of same testimony, hey, the Lord saved me at this time and this place, they were giving that testimony. But he said here that it was confirmed in you. If they're giving witness to it. What God does is He transforms our lives so that when we say, I was saved, there are people that look at us and say, huh, that's what's wrong with Him. That's what they're talking about. That's where it's coming from. That's what it is. This confirmation in our lives, He transforms our lives, and in doing so, it's His grace continuing to actively work in us, because He's not done. He doesn't save us and then say, well, I'll see you when you get to heaven. No, He saves us and He continues to lavish His gracious goodness on us, and we're transformed, and He shows us and the whole world that He's the one doing the work. All of that is simply to try to get you to see what He says in verse 9, God is faithful. God is faithful. If God is so faithful to lavish on you the gift of the gospel in all of its intricacies, and I have spent just a, a fraction of the time that it would really deserve to, to spend on telling you what the grace of the gospel really is, but if He's willing to do that and He's able to do that, you can trust Him to be your Savior. You can trust Him to be the Savior of the world. Not trust your ability, not trust your, your, your message and your technique to save the world, but instead you can trust Him to be the Savior if you will just trust Him because He alone is faithful. God gave us the lavish gift of the gospel so we can trust Him. He also, he also has given us the necessary gift of the mission that He has us on right now. You look at me in verse 7. 
he says that this is again referring back to this grace that's been given to us in verse five, or rather in verse four. He refers in verse uh, verse seven now to say that 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 he's given this to us so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're waiting on the Lord right now. That's, we know that's the next thing on the calendar. We know that it's called, we call it the imminent return of Jesus. We expect that any day now, the Lord is coming. There's a song, I think, in there somewhere. Just any day now. Uh, anyway, the point is, the point is that it's any day now. It can happen in any moment. That's what we anticipate. This is the next thing on the calendar. And he says that we're waiting, but we're not just waiting. That, that word, the, the, the English there, I think, sort of masks the, the, the strength of it is the fact that we're eagerly awaiting. We're eagerly awaiting. It's almost like that little kid on Christmas Eve and Mom and Daddy says, you can't open the presents for Christmas morning. And you just, oh, I can't even sleep. I'm ready for this to happen. That's the way he's talking about there. We're eagerly waiting. We're saying along with uh, John the Revelator, even so come, Lord Jesus. That's where we are. And we know he's coming. That is a foregone conclusion. He said in John 14, I'm coming again. But if that weren't so, I would have told you. He says, I'm coming again. So he's coming. We know he's coming. But he's not here yet. And we're still here. So there's a reason for that. Because I believe that my God is in control of everything. If he was done with this world, he'd be done with this world and we'd be in heaven. There's a reason that we're seated here. The reason that there are some of you who have faced down death but you're sitting here, sitting here to tell us the tale. There's a reason that some of you have looked at, looked at things like cancer and other diseases in the eye, yet you're still alive now. There's some of you that say, I don't know how I've held on this long. Why is that? Because there is a purpose, there is a plan that God has for all of us, but for you specifically. He's got something that He is doing. So while we're waiting... He's got some kind of mission for us. Now, I, I want to be clear because I don't have the time to develop it because we've got more people than i got time to do this for, so I'm not going to do this. But we know that it's individual. Everybody's got a different purpose. We understand we all aren't going to do the same thing. I understand that. But whatever it is God has for you specifically, it all could be culminated underneath His big mission in Matthew chapter 28 where He says to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. While we're waiting here, just like the disciples, they would be waiting. In fact, he even says, Jesus is ascending up into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And they're looking up, and the angel says, why are you waiting? He told you what to do. Y'all go do that. Y'all go do that. What is he telling us to do? He's telling us to follow after Jesus, to do his teaching, and to make sure we share his teachings with everybody that we know. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And you know what? We're supposed to be doing that. God has given us the grace, as He says, go back to verse 7, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to make sure you have everything you need to do what I've left you here to do. Uh, Peter says it this way, that God has given us all things pertaining unto life and godliness. Everything that we need to do what God has us here to do he will, He has, and will continue to give it to us. He gives us everything we need so that we lack nothing. He equips those that He calls. If you are one of God's, if you are here waiting on the return of Christ, 
you have everything you need. And you say, well, Matthew, I sure don't feel like I've got it. Well, you're looking in the wrong places. You're trusting the wrong people. You're not trusting in God because He's the one who equips, not other people. We are owned and operated by God. We are His problem. Therefore, He's the one that solves our problems. He's the one that we lean on. See, I think we're too used to the gods of this world to make unreasonable demands of us. Kind of like Pharaoh back in Exodus chapter 5, I believe it was. Remember him? He had the children of Israel and slaves under his authority. And he told them, I want y'all to make bricks. They said, okay, we've got to make some bricks. So I need some straw and I need this and that and other thing. And he said, no, I want you to make bricks without any straw. Y'all figure it out. That's the kind of the way the gods of this world do. Because I want you to do something, but I want you to supply it all. But this is what happens when we're hateful and we're selfish. It, it makes us, takes away from us, takes something away from us and we're left alone. But pornography and infidelity, it, it makes us hurt people that we love in order to have something else that we love. You see, you have to give stuff up. This is what, this is what these drugs and alcohol, you have to give up your dignity, give up your life in order to get something that you think you want. This is what the gods of this world do is they take from us. But the God of the universe who we love, He is a God who gives everything with His grace. He gives us exact. If He wants you to do it, He's going to give you the tools to get it done. That's what He does. That's the way our God works. So we can trust Him for everything we need in life. If you're still here, and as far as I can tell, there might be two or three of y'all sleeping. I can't tell really too good. But as long as y'all are still with me, God's got a purpose for you. He's got a purpose for you. And He will supply what you need for the mission. It might feel, I want to at least acknowledge, like that song that you just heard right before this sermon, it might feel pointless sometimes. It might get difficult. You might not be able to feel your way in the dark. But I want you to know if you're here, God's got a purpose for you. And He is faithful to supply the needs that you have. Nothing else will satisfy Nothing else will provide for you. Nothing else will comfort you. He has the words of life. He has the provisions that you need. He has it all. You have to trust Him. And trust Him enough. Lastly, God is going to give us a reassuring gift in the judgment day. If you're like me and you grew up in church, Probably one of the scariest times when the preacher decided he was going to preach on Revelation. Oh my goodness, you go home and you're scared to death. I don't want to show the night. I don't want this to happen. You're always worried about stuff like that. And, and, I, and I guess as a child, some of it has to do new with the unknown and all that. But the more I thought about it in the recent days, I think there's one of the things that makes us fear what we call the end of time or end times. One of the things that causes us to fear that is the fact that we know we're going to have to face God. My sin today, y'all don't know what I did. In fact, there may be very few people who know what I did. I ain't hide my stuff. I, and y'all may be y'all may be stupid, but I'm a better hypocrite than that. I ain't hide my stuff. And my sin feels inconsequential, doesn't it? Again, don't nod your head because I don't want you to have to convict yourself. But, but just know your sin feels inconsequential because nobody knows about it. Where it gets in, where it gets in trouble is when you know, hey, somebody saw you do it. 
and they call you on the car. That's where you get in trouble. But we think most of our sin is inconsequential, that we're not going to get in trouble for it. But we know that there is coming a day, if you believe the Bible, you know that there's going to come a day where you will stand before an almighty God. You will stand there with nothing, nothing to hide anything. And you can try to lie to him, but he knows everything. He saw it all, and if he wanted to, he could play it on the big screen and let everybody see it. He knows everything that you've done. We believe what Peter writes, that we believe that this is a God without respect of persons who judges according to every man's work. We know that Paul, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. We know, as Paul writes in a few chapters later in 1 Corinthians, every man's work will be made manifest. We know that's going to happen. And I can just tell you, if you think about that long enough, and maybe, maybe y'all ain't thought about it long enough, maybe I'm thinking about it too much, but when I think about it, I'm like, ooh, that's a little nerve-wracking. God is going to look at everything that I've ever done. And He is going to judge it. But I want you to be assured that the grace of God doesn't even stop on judgment day. Look what he says in verse 8. Speaking of Jesus, who, Jesus, shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was your advocate to the Friday when you put your faith in Jesus the Savior. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 talks about this. That he is the one who stood before God and said, I'm offering my blood for his sin. And Jesus doesn't even stop acting in that capacity, even on the dreadful day of the Lord. In fact, he continues to do so. There's going to come that day when everything and every one of us is going to be exposed and tested. But on that day, on that day, Jesus, he says there in verse 8, he will confirm you unto the end. You know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to say, he's going to prove that I'm good. He's going to prove that I am, as he says there, blameless, without sin. He's going to prove that I am true, that I am right, that I am been covered by the blood of the Lamb. He is going to prove it. Because it really goes to prove. It's not who or what you know. It is who you know. If you know Jesus, He will be the one to confirm you in that final day. He will make you blameless as if you're without guilt. The Bible uses the word justified. You will be seen as one without sin. That is what He will do for you in that day. And again, you could say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've done it. You don't know the attitude of my heart when I do these things. And I'll say, you're right. But if you're trusting in Jesus, it's not what you do, it is what He did. That makes the difference. That's what makes you blameless. So we can trust Him for a good day on Judgment Day. I can trust Jesus for a good day on Judgment Day. If I'm trusting in Him, I don't have to fear death. I'm not suggesting that there's not some fearfulness in crossing over the physical pain and all of those things, but I'm telling you, you don't have to fear it because of what's on the other side. You know what's there. You know what's there, that Jesus is there waiting for you, ready to take your hand, ready to take you to the Father and say, He is blameless. You can trust Him because you don't have to fear facing God. 
And some of you that are Christians, you're like that little kid. Okay, you're like me when I was a kid. I'll put it that way. Mom and daddy go off, do something, run to the store, whatever. And Matthew, when we go back, we want, our, want the room clean, we want the floor vacuum, got ten other uh, chores they want me to do. We'll be back in about an hour and a half. And then, 45 minutes in, I look at the clock, oh my goodness, there's going to be back soon. And I am starting. And so I have to scurry and, thr- and all this other stuff, trying to get it all together. Instead of doing what I'm supposed to do, I've chosen to do fall. But if you're trusting in Jesus, you know what you can spend your time and energy doing? Instead of trying to clean up your life and do better, you know what you can do? You can spend your energy loving Jesus, serving Jesus, pleasing Jesus, enjoying Jesus. And yes, I know that the time on this earth is but a drop in the bucket for eternity. We have e- literally, we have eternity to look forward to. But in that drop of a bucket that we have right now, we can actually have a little bit of heaven on earth. If instead of goofing off and trying to do what we want to, and we'll do, like, do like I did, get that can down the road, I'll deal with that later. No, deal with it now. Let the Lord save you, transform you, so when that judgment day comes, you will have nothing to fear because God has given you that reassuring gift of His grace. God's faithful. You can trust Him. God is absolutely faithful. You can trust Him. In fact, it's not just in this passage, but throughout the Scripture, it's in the character of God to be a promise keeper. He says something, you can bank on it. That's just the kind of God He is. He has been faithful. He is faithful to us now and will be faithful to us in that final day. I'm closing, but I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying, that we can trust His message and you can trust His message. Do you understand what I'm getting at when I say you can trust His message and His message? It is God's Word that is without error. It is God's Word that is sufficient. All the talent in the world, all the, the great new music in the world, all the activities in the world, all the programs in the world, all of those things will, will never and can never and should never replace the fellowship that we have around the Word of God. The Word of God is what we can trust. You can't trust me no more more than you can throw me. You can't trust you no more than we can throw you. But we can trust God all the way to judgment day. So we need to trust His Word. You can trust His presence in your life. You can trust Him when you can't see anything else. And some of y'all might even be there right now. You don't know which way's up. You don't know which way's out. But you can trust Him if you'll put your faith in Him. Sometimes your desires will pull you this way and that way. Maybe they're sinful desires. Maybe they're not so sinful desires. But nonetheless, they pull you in all sorts of ways. But instead of listening to the desires of your heart, if you will trust in Him, He is trustworthy. You can trust His goodness. You can trust His sufficiency. Even when sin, and some of y'all are struggling with this and you're not going to admit it to anybody, you won't look to anybody for help, but you need to know when that sin promises you that your life is going to be better if you'll just do that. I want you to know, one, that's not true. It's going to lead you down a path you'll never want to go down. But furthermore, there is only one who gives you true happiness, who really gives you the joy of your heart, can even give you that kind of joy that when you're in the hardest of hard situations, that you can trust Him. That's the, I say to you, Jesus Christ. And you can trust Him for eternal love and eternal grace. Even when the end is near. I, I can say, I, I don't have a whole lot 
that I can offer you if you're sitting at the end of your life and you are facing death. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I can't make you feel better. I don't have a whole lot. I'd like to say it's going to be okay. You ever hear people say that? It's going to be all right? They don't know what they're talking about. It's not going to be all right. It's going to be worse. It's going to get worse and worse. Some people, y'all, y'all know this, y'all have seen them. You've got loved ones who are in this situation. You like to tell them niceties, and maybe you do. Maybe you lie to them. Maybe that's what you do. But I want you to know that in those worst of worst situations, I can tell you right now, and by the way, I want to go ahead and prepare you. If I have to have, to have that opportunity to sit with you when you are at that moment of your life, my job is not to try to make you feel better. I'm going to try as best I can, but my job is to prepare you for that other side. And I want you to know that the, your job as a Christian is to prepare, prepare each other for the next, next life. And the only hope you have at that moment where the doctors are saying, we've done everything we can, when your family's all gathered around you and everything is at the end of the time, and you don't know what to do next, and you as an individual are the one that's in the middle of that, your heart is racing and you're panicked and you're worried, I want you to know that the only hope that you have is that Jesus is faithful and He'll be faithful on the other side and He will make it so that you are blameless, that there is nothing going to be wrong, even though, even though, even though it hurts, even though it's painful, even though there's tears streaming down your face, in that moment, you can't trust God. He's faithful. He's faithful. You can trust him.